So about a month ago, I shared a message entitled Mentoring and Womanhood. And we got into some very challenging teachings that are found over in Titus chapter 2. And at the time I said, in about a month I'm going to come back to the same text and I'm going to address men because there's also some challenging pieces for men as well. Well guys, today is that day. So as we get started, I want to share a growth principle with you. People will either live up to or live down to the expectations placed upon them. People will either live up to or live down to the expectations that are placed upon them. If you were to tell somebody, you're stupid, you're doing everything wrong, you'll never amount to anything, that person many times will live down to the expectations that have been placed on them. And at the same time, you'll often notice that that person's failures become amplified by those words. But if you tell somebody, God is all over you. He is working in your life. I can see the gifts that he has given you. And you're not going to do everything wrong, but keep pursuing him. I believe in you. If you tell that person that same idea, that person will often walk taller and they will take on greater challenges and they will make better decisions because they have encouragement to succeed. They live up to the expectations that have been placed on them. There is this sweet spot in growth that happens at the intersection of biblical expectations, a supportive environment, and words of affirmation. God just has a way of pulling the best out in people in those moments. So what we're going to do today is we're going to pray that God would create that exact intersection this morning. We are praying that this morning people would hear biblical expectations, that they would understand they are in a supportive environment. And at the same time, I want to affirm men so that they will live up to the expectations of maturity and manhood that have been placed upon them in Scripture. I invite you to go with me in your Bibles today to the book of Titus chapter number 2. Titus chapter 2, we're going to be in verses 2 and 6. I am addressing maturity and manhood today. Maturity and manhood. Here's what this text says. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, in perseverance. Skip down into verse number six. Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that your spirit would guide us into truth. Allow our minds to be captivated, Lord, by your word. We're praying today that men are encouraged, that they are affirmed, that they are supported to become everything you have created them to be. In Jesus' name, amen. It has been a couple of weeks since we were in the book of Titus, so let's take a moment and get everybody up to speed. Uh, the book of Titus was written by the Apostle Paul to Titus. And according to chapter 1, verse 4, Titus was Paul's true child in a common faith. The Apostle Paul is the one who mentored Titus, and Titus went on to become the overseer of the churches in Crete based on chapter 1, verse 5. Now, the entire book is a challenge to maturity and mentoring. Maturity 
and mentoring. And about a month ago, we went through and we addressed this text specifically to women in that context. And today we're going to see exactly what the text says about maturity and mentoring when it comes to men. So what happens when men mature in Christ? This is just a little bit of that. Mature Christian men make better husbands and fathers. Mature Christian men make better bosses and employees. They serve others with greater kindness. They're faithful in the small things. They make better decisions. They lead their families well according to the wisdom and the word of God. Mature Christian men are present and engaged and wise and responsible and generous. In fact, I cannot think of a downside to men maturing in Christ. So how does any of that connect with mentoring? Well, God calls all men. For that matter, he calls all all women, all believers. He calls us to maturity, to go to another level of maturity in Christ. But as we do, according to this text, we are to take others with us. That's the mentoring side. I want you to personally apply this into your life for just a moment. If you are a godly dad, God is calling you to another level of maturity as a godly dad. There's always another level. There's always another place that we can go to with him. But here's the thing. He's calling you to take other dads with you. If you are serving within the church, if you're a part of a connect group, if you are helping in the community, if you're entrusting the gospel to others, there is always another level of maturity he is calling us up to. And the challenge is find someone around you and take them with you in the journey. It's about maturity, and it's also about mentoring. Now listen, the incentive for this should never be guilt. It should not be that you come into a service like this, and you're like, well, there's the preacher. He's, he's making us feel guilty because we're not doing this or doing that. No, if you're hearing anything out of this series is I do not want to put guilt on anyone. But here's what I do want to do. I want to encourage you to step into the blessings that come to those who love God and walk in obedience with his will. It's blessings. It's not an incentive on the side of guilt. It is incentive of this is what can happen when God lives in and through a person. So what are some key principles from Titus chapter 2 that are related to maturity and manhood? Here's the first. Older men are to exemplify Christian maturity. Here's what that means. Older Christian men are to be the embodiment of what Christian maturity looks like. In other words, when young Christian men or non-believers want to know what it looks like to walk faithfully as a believer, they should be able to look at older Christian men and see it on display. Older Christian men are not going to be perfect. None of us are perfect But what we find is the text does suggest that aging should bring more than gray hair, no hair, or another candle on your birthday cake. It should be that as we get older, there should be a deeper level of maturity. Older Christian men have walked with God long enough that their lives should now reflect God's value, God's designs, God's wisdom, and God's character. Now, the term older men was generally used of those who were 60 and older. And according to verse number two, it tells us that older men are to exemplify or be recognized 
by six mature characteristics. And please hear me. These are mature characteristics. These are not characteristics that you just begin to live out because you heard a message on Sunday morning. These are not characteristics that are a part of your life because you picked up another podcast. These are characteristics that are worked out over time through trials and life pressures as a person submits to the will of God and walks in accordance with the word. That's the the framework. That is the context in which these characteristics are developed. So here's the first. These older men are to be temperate. The word temperate, it means free from intoxication. Also carries the wider meaning of being clear-headed. It's used metaphorically throughout the New Testament to describe a person who is moderate in their lifestyle. This is important. This individual practices the avoidance of extravagance or indulgence at all levels. The older Christian men have recognized what are and what are not true pleasures in life. He knows that pleasures of self-indulgence are going to cost far more than what they're worth. And as a result of that, he uses his time, his money, his resources, and his energy in the right way. And he uses it carefully. Because his priorities are in right order, he is satisfied with fewer things and many times simpler things. He sees the triviality of worthless expenditures. He's temperate. The next word there is dignified. Uh, The word speaks of being revered or esteemed or honorable. Older, mature Christian men are serious, but they're serious in all the right ways. It's not that he is a gloomy killjoy. He's not haughty or prideful. He's not self-righteous or trivial or superficial, but rather his actions fit the moment. In other words, when the context allows for humor, he could be humorous. When the context allows for somebody to be serious, he's serious. He is dignified. He is what he is supposed to be in the moment because maturity in life has taught him that there's a way to respond and there's not a way to respond. This man is dignified. Here's the next word, sensible. It describes somebody whose life is under control. Sensible and self-control are used interchangeably in Scripture. A sensible person possesses self-mastery both in thought as well as in judgment. They have discernment and discretion and judgment that only comes through years of experience as well as walking with God. This is a person who many times will recognize a problem far before the problem gets here. This is a person who is going to see what others don't see. This is a person who asks the questions that many times a younger person doesn't even know to ask the question, but experience has taught them you ask more, you find out more. That's what it's describing here. The sensible older man knows how to govern his desires. He has learned the value of waiting on the Lord. He doesn't live in a reactionary state to every bump in the road, but rather he calmly, he sensibly, he prayerfully adjusts to God's activity around him. That's what it means to be sensible. Now, the next three characteristics are all connected with the word sound. Uh, This word sound, it, it refers to that which is healthy, proper, whole, or as it should be. Now, you will notice that I have included all of those different descriptors with these three pieces because I want you to read through it and think through it from all of those different pieces. It it helps us understand the fullness of this idea. 
in verse number one, you'll see that the word sound was being used of doctrine. The person had sound doctrine. Now the word sound is being used of character. And there's three different pieces. Older Christian men, mature men, are sound in faith. That means they're healthy in faith. They're proper in faith. They are whole in their faith. They are as they should be in their faith. Uh, what that means is they're not just going through circumstances hoping to grow in their faith. According to this text, they are there at this point. They are, they're already currently healthy, proper, whole, as they should be. Listen, here it is. As at this point in their life. Okay. If you get nothing else out of the, the older men section, you got to get this. At this point in a person's life, when they're 60 plus years of age, at this point when they've studied scripture for years, when they have prayed and seen God answer request after request after request, when they've tested the promises of God and found him faithful, when they've walked with God through trials and disappointments, when they've seen him answer prayer after prayer, at this point in a person's life, as God has lovingly corrected their behavior and led them on a path of wisdom and loved them through the ups and downs of life and lifted them up when they were discouraged and blessed them when they didn't deserve it, at this point in a person's life, if they have not yet learned how to trust God, they probably never will. How many more times does he have to be faithful before they say he's trustworthy? How many more times does he have to be true to his word before they say the word of God is true? Basically, at this point in a person's life, if they've not learned to trust God yet, there's a good chance they probably never will. Older men of God are sound in their faith. They don't lose heart when things look bad. When things are going from bad to worse, they will calmly look at those around them and say, just give God a moment. God is at work. There's nothing to worry about. He is faithful and he is true. They keep pointing eyes back to God when everybody else is getting crazy and freaked out in the moment. That's what older, mature Christian men are going to do. Here's the next one. They're sound in love. Sound in love. Healthy in love. Proper in love, as it should be in love. So my next statement could be the understatement of the year. Um, some people are hard to love. Amen. Amen. Hey, we got to just be honest right here. I mean, some people will make a honey badger look friendly. They, they bring out parts of your character that will make you wonder if you're even a Christian. You're, you're around them, you're like, oh my goodness, am I even saved? Okay, so some people are hard to love, and then there are people who are on the opposite side. They are so nice and kind and filled with the love of God, they will fool you into thinking you're a loving person even if you're not. Because when you're around them, you just feel better. You're like, if this is what it means to love people, I'm good. I'm great. I can do this. And then you meet their sister, the honey badger. And you, all of a sudden you realize that I can't do it apart from Christ. Here's why that's important. Think about some of the 
hard commands of Christ related to love. He says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, and strength. Like, oh, I do that all the time. If we're honest and we look at how we love God, many times we're loving God with our leftover heart and our leftover mind and our leftover strength. Like after we do everything else we're going to do, we got 10 minutes, we're like, God, it's all yours. What's left? Jesus also said that we're to love our enemies. I'd prefer to punch a couple, but that wasn't an option. I wouldn't even mind ignoring my enemies, but he didn't give me that option either. He said, love your enemies and pray for those who spitefully use you. If you think you can do that in your own strength, you are sadly mistaken. It has to be that God is doing that. That's why these teachings are so profound. Spiritually mature men of God, those who have been walking with Jesus for years and years, those individuals are healthy in this kind of love, strong in this kind of love, proper in this kind of love, as it should be in this kind of love. And the word love, that is agape love in the text. That's perfect God-initiated love. If you want to know what that looks like, I would encourage you, just write the reference off to the side, 1 Corinthians 13. Here's how Paul describes it. That type of love is patient. It's kind. It's not jealous. It doesn't brag. It's, it's not arrogant. It's not easily provoked. The, the whole description is right there in the text. That's what that love looks like. And older Christian mature men are sound in that type of love. Here's the next one. Sound and perseverance. Older Christian men have just learned to keep going. Their body hurts. They take some Tylenol and they keep going. They encounter disappointment along the way, but they keep going. Like anybody else, they get frustrated whenever their plans fall short of their expectations, but they just keep going. Others might not appreciate their efforts, but that's okay. They're not doing it for them. They just keep going. It takes effort, it takes strength, it takes wisdom, it takes resources to lead the family well and keep a marriage strong and, and they accept the responsibility and they do it well and they get up tomorrow and they do it again and they do it again and they do it again. They just keep doing it. That's what it looks like to be healthy in perseverance. Now I want you to notice all of those characteristics that we just described are not those given specifically to a pastor or a leader. They're given to men in general. In other words, if you think, well, I, I don't have a role as far as a leader within the church. That's not expected of me. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you are a man, this is what God is calling you to. So while older Christian men are to exemplify Christian maturity, younger men are urged to be sensible, self-controlled, prudent, now, this term younger was generally used for guys of marriageable age to around 60 years old. So if you happen to be 59, you might take great delight in knowing that the Word of God calls you a young man. Those of you beyond 60, praise God for you too. Okay, so when this text was written, marriageable age was 13, 14, and 15 years old. Yeah. Some of you are like, no way that's going to be happening in my house. And I understand. But listen, my point in bringing that out 
is because the Word of God refers to two primary age brackets. That is, children birth through marriageable age and adults marriageable age through death. There is no adolescent bracket. If you research that term, adolescence is a relatively new classification used primarily in the Western world to excuse young adults who want to act like immature kids. Amen. There's a lot of poor decisions and activity that get swept under the rug by statements like, boys will be boys. They're still young. It's just youthful indiscretion. No, many times it is sin and it is immaturity and the word of God is calling men at all levels to another level of maturity in Christ. So this challenge to be sensible as a young man. It does not start when you are 18. It does not start when you're 21. It does not start when you're 35 and decide to get married. It starts at 13, 14, and 15 years old. Teenage guys are called to be sensible. 20-somethings are called to be sensible. Young men who are married without kids are called to be sensible. Young men who are married with kids are called to be sensible. The issue here is not that the text is saying a 13 year old is going to have the maturity level of a 55 year old. It does say that a 13 year old and a 55 year old are both called to be sensible and prudent and self-controlled. The word urge is translated as admonish. It means to appeal to their sense of personal moral responsibility. By the way, if they have no sense of moral responsibility, that also comes back to the home. This is a polite way when it says urge, admonish. It's a polite way of saying, grow up, take responsibility for your life, and be a man. Why is it important that young men are urged to be sensible and self-controlled? Because young men are often inclined to be impetuous and unrestrained. So I'm going to give you three quick statements here to help you understand that. Youthfulness can be dangerous. When, when you're younger, your blood just runs hotter. You, you feel like you're bulletproof. You, you, you live in the moment without regard to all the warnings. Our passions promise more than our experience can deliver. There's so many opportunities to make bad decisions. We act before we think, and many times there is a hefty price to pay for foolish decisions. Another part of that is youthfulness can bring deafness when you're young, you kind of turn a deaf ear to those older than you. Many times you, you think that your parents or older adults, they just don't understand. They, they don't get what it's like to live in the world today. And sometimes that might be the case, but sometimes the reason they're saying what they are is they're trying to keep you from making the same mistake they made when they were unwilling to listen to their parents at that exact moment. There, there's a deafness sometimes that comes into youthfulness. It's been said experience is a great teacher if you don't have to pay too dear a price for the lesson. Here's another statement. Youthfulness can encourage recklessness. Young men are more reckless than older men. Young men sometimes don't see how quickly accidents happen. 
Uh, Young men assume responsibility with a a carefree spirit many times because they've not experienced the pressure that is sitting on top of you when things go wrong. They they enter into engagements in in a quick way, a carefree way. There is a, a recklessness many times with young men. It's for all of these reasons and more that young men are called to learn self-control. Solomon says, one who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and one whose temper is controlled than the one who captures a city. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 32. He's describing self-control. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself am not disqualified. That's self-control. Peter, he he told believers that knowledge leads to self-control. Self-control leads to perseverance. Perseverance leads to godliness. Peter understood the importance of self-control. So the question now becomes for all the young men in the room, how do we grow in self-control? Do you focus on on self-control? Like, what does that look like? Well, 2 Peter chapter 1 gives a part of the answer. That is, according to Scripture, God has given believers everything that is needed pertaining to life and godliness. So if we're saying we need self-control, then somehow God has already given that. So how did he give it to us? Galatians chapter 5 verse 23 tells us self-control is a part of the fruit of the Spirit. In other words, when somebody is indwelt by the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit is actively living, working, moving in that person's life. The Spirit of God will demonstrate, will live self-control through that person. You all have heard me say it again and again. Today is going to be another time. Everything God desires to do in and through your life, He will accomplish out of the overflow of your relationship with him. This is just one more example. Here's what that means. When a person is saying, God, I recognize my need for self-control. If they say, starting tomorrow, I'm going to do it, you're already on the wrong side. That does not last. It does not work. But here's what that person can do. When they understand self-control is needed, they now bring it back before God and they say, God, I recognize apart from you living this through my life, it's not going to happen. So I submit myself to you and I'm just going to keep pursuing Jesus. I'm going to keep following Jesus. I'm going to keep spending time with Jesus. I'm going to keep getting to know Jesus. I'm going to keep loving on Jesus. And I am going to trust that in the process of doing that, you are going to live self-control through me. That is how it flows out of relationship with God. Every man in this room has now been addressed in this text. For young men, 13 through 59, the expectation is to live with self-control. Do not let a desire for money, position, popularity, recognition, sex, power, personal glorification ruin your life or rule your life. The cost of self-indulgence is always going to be more than you're willing to pay. My request of you is to ask today, ask God today, honestly ask God today in prayer, God, would you live self-control through me? Would you mature me in this area? Older men, those who are 60 and beyond, the challenge of the text is to be 
temperate, to be sensible, sound in love, sound in faith, sound in perseverance. We, we need you in the church to do exactly that. You have seen more than we have seen. You have experienced more than we have experienced. We need the older, mature Christian men to live that way because we need to see the example before us. Also, on a corporate level, the health of the church hinges many times upon the health and the maturity of the men in the church. So here's my question. Guys, I don't know if there's something we can do on this as far as the popping, but if we can, that'd be great. My question for you right now, I'm going to turn this off and move over to the, the pulpit mic. I don't stop on something like this, but this is entirely too important for anything to get in the, the way of people being able to hear clearly what I'm about to say. My question here is what would happen if a church with men took these challenges seriously and said, we're willing to accept the challenge and be who God made us to be. What would that look like within the church? What would it look like for Christian men to gather together and say, we want to create an environment, we want to create a church home where younger men can understand what it looks like to be a Christian man, where older men are being honored and respected because we recognize they've been walking with Jesus. We want to create an environment here where wives and children are not being left in the wake because of ridiculous, foolish decisions made by men. We want to create an environment so that men are affirmed and they are challenged and they are called to be who God has called them to be. What would something like that look like? I'll, I'll give you a glimpse of it. More needs would be met within the church. Marriages and families would be stronger. Discipleship would happen at a level that we only read about within Scripture. We would see that those who do not have a godly father figure in their life would be enveloped within a community of godly men who would say, you are protected here, you are welcomed here, we love you and we want to invest in your life. Could you imagine that type of church? Could you imagine the impact that a church like that would have in its community and in its state and around the world? If there is ever a church that I believe there are men who are not only willing but able to do this. It is this church. Please hear me. Please hear me. The decisions we make today become the legacy we leave tomorrow. The decisions we make today become the legacy that we leave tomorrow. When you walk down Legacy Hallway, I encourage you, take a few moments and look in the faces of the men and the women of God who have gone before us. They were the ones who prayed and they served and they sacrificed and they stepped up and they stayed under biblical authority. And because of what they have done on our behalf, we now have an opportunity to know Jesus and make him known among the nations. Praise God for what they have done. But listen, we are the people God has called into the room right now. The next 10, 20, 30 years, 
of this church's existence are going to be based on the decisions and the lives of those who are in the room right now. We cannot afford to sit idly on the sidelines. We cannot afford to play church. We cannot afford to go through the motions of spirituality. We have to be the men God has called us to be. The decisions we make today will become the legacy we leave tomorrow. And strong legacies are not made with leftover worship and leftover time and leftover heart and leftover prayer. Strong legacies are made when the men of God and women of God are willing to go to the next level of maturity and take other people with them. Men of God, I want to affirm you this morning. And I want to call you to take the next step of maturity with Christ. And I don't know what that step is going to be with you. For every person, it could be different. It might be for one man, he is being called to a greater time of prayer where he's more faithful in his prayer. For another man, it might be leading stronger in his family. For somebody else, it might be stepping into an area of service. Whatever it is, my challenge for you is to take the next step of maturity with Christ. Young men, specifically those who are in their teens, those in their 20s, and those in their 30s, you have an opportunity to shape your generation for Christ. Every generation needs strong men who are willing to submit to Jesus and point others back to the hope we have in the gospel. Every generation needs that. My question is, will you be that man? To be that man, it requires walking with integrity. Young men, please hear me. You cannot go out and sow your wild oats on a Saturday night and then pray for crop failure on a Sunday morning. Duplicitous living robs us of the power of God. You are to be who God made you to be. The enemy is going to oppose you. There's people in this room that God is calling into all different areas of life. There are people in this room, I know because I've talked to them, they've come to me, that God is calling to the pastorate. Just know, the enemy will oppose you every step of the way. He knows that if he can get in your way, if he can cause you frustration, if he can cause you to give up in the process, you walk away in the call. And here's the thing I want to encourage you with. Stay close and clean before God. Submit to him and walk wisely. There's people in the room right now, God is calling into the area of making movies and in the area of creating film. With that calling comes different types of temptations that others might not face. You get a chance to reach people nobody else is going to reach. Here's my thing. The enemy is out to kill and to destroy. My challenge for you is stay close and clean before God. Submit to him and walk wisely. Many of you are being called out into other areas of the marketplace. He may be calling you into business or medicine or law or education, trade, politics, or any number of other things. If God calls you to it, it is a holy calling. Your calling is not inferior to the calling of somebody called the vocational ministry. He's called you to step into that role. Stay close and clean before God. Submit to him and walk wisely. Men... 
We have to be courageous in this. Reject passivity and be the man God called you to be. Surrender to his authority in your life early on. Submit to him constantly. Walk with him daily and also ask him for his wisdom. When you're tired and you're confused, the enemy is going to offer you sin in order to distract you. God is going to offer you peace in order to walk with him at a deeper level. Always run to Jesus. Do not think you can do it by yourself. You cannot. Pride leads before the fall, and it not only hurts you, it hurts everybody else that is around you. Share your burdens with Jesus. Worship him like men who know they have been forgiven of their sins. Pursue Jesus with everything you have in your life, and then get up tomorrow and next week and next year and do it again and do it again and do it again the decisions we make today become the legacy we leave tomorrow make the right decisions today wives pray for your husbands daughters pray for your dads moms pray for your sons grandmothers pray for the men in your family I am not saying for a moment you do not pray for others. Pray for the ladies. Pray for the daughters. I'm not saying that for a moment. But what I can tell you is when God has given a level of spiritual leadership and responsibility to men in the home and in the church, if he can take, if the enemy can take down the man, it's going to hurt the family. Pray for them. As God deploys godly men, the enemy wants to destroy godly men. Pray for them like they're in a battle. They need it. So if you're a man in the room and you're saying, what's my next step? I'm going to give you fast. Here it is. Ask God to clarify what your next step needs to be. Find a Timothy and find a Barnabas in your life. Find someone who is going to encourage and pour into you and find someone that you can encourage and pour into. Be present and be engaged in your church. And here's the last one. Don't be content with where you're currently at with God. There's always another level he is calling you to. I'm going to ask you if you would to bow with me for a word of prayer. His heads are bowed for just a moment. My appeal in this message is for the men of God to be who God has called them to be. And for some men in the room, it might be the, the peace that they're needing, the, the encouragement, the motivation to go to that next level. There's others in the room right now that they might be getting haunted at this point because of poor decisions in their past and they're feeling like, They've already ruined it, that there's nothing that can happen. The gospel tells us another story. Do not let the enemy discourage you from being who God made you to be. You cannot change the past, but God can redeem the future. My challenge to you today is to go to the next level of maturity in Christ and find someone to take with you. There might be people in the room right now that... You're not sure as far as whether or not you even have a relationship with God. And every time I talk about everything flows out of a relationship, you don't even know what that's talking about. There's going to be pastors and some pastor's wives that will be at the front. They would love to be able to talk with you. 
There's going to be others who are also in the room that maybe you've been looking for a church family. Maybe you've been looking for a place that is going to take discipleship seriously and to pour into and engage the next generation. All I can say is that is what this church is about. If you're needing somebody to pray with you, if you're needing encouragement, just know there's people who want to help. I'm going to have a word of prayer. There'll be pastors along the front. There'll be also some of our counselors along the front. I encourage you to step out as God leads. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask today, Lord, that you would do a work in this place. God, may you stir and move in the hearts of your people. In Jesus' name, amen.